Dread Rock's Holiday, Part 8. But as Cubert Pokingholm was about to plunge the business end of the gleaming knife into my manly chest, old Jethro clutched the master's arm, causing the knife to scuttle into a corner of the cavern. Pokingholm was scandalised. How dare you molest your master as he's about to perform a ritual, he squealed, more petulantly than outraged, I thought. But master, pleaded old Jethro, the diving suit which walks by itself. What of it? Pokehorn spat impatiently. It be a sign, pleaded Jethro. A sign that disaster is nearby. We're devil worshippers, said Pokehorn. Unnecessarily sarcastically, in my opinion. We like disaster. Even if the disaster is for you, I asked him innocently. Pokinghorn laughed. As you were the only one to see this so-called diving suit, I should think the disaster is yours, Sir Desmond. But master, old Jethro continued, death and destruction always follows the appearance of the empty diver. Every sailor on the coast knows that. There was a murmur of assent from the acolytes. Pokinghorn sneered and clicked his fingers for the knife to be retrieved. No one moved. I do enjoy a touch of dissent in the ranks. Unless it's union-led, of course. Pokinghorn was getting rather irked by now. The ritual must take place now. He actually stamped his little feet. Otherwise we will miss our chance. The acolytes shuffled nervously, looking at each other. I became aware of something in the corner of my eye. I glanced around, and there was the empty diving suit, standing by the hole in the cavern from where I'd entered. It made a beckoning gesture with its hand. Was that aimed at me? There was a shriek. The old deer from the tobacconists had seen the diving suit too. This was followed by the pandemonium to which the lower orders succumb when not ruled firmly by their betters. The acolytes started making a frightful racket and running hither and thither, screeching like monkeys whose tails have all been set alight. Pokinghorn raised his arms and his voice, but neither had the slightest effect. I decided that buggering off Pronto was the better part of valour, so I surreptitiously slipped off the altar. But where to go? The route back to the lighthouse meant approaching the diving suit. But without a map, I could imagine being easily lost in the catacombs down here. Before I could ponder this dilemma any further, a hand grabbed my arm. This way, sir. It was the acolyte who had removed his army and navy underpants. He was in his thirties. Good-looking in a rugged way, with muscularity chiselled on the battlefield, not in a pansy gym. Now it seemed obvious he was a forces man. He handed me my sou'wester. Captain Nigel Hardwick Cummings. Special forces, anti-occult unit, undercover. We knew there was something big going on here. Anti-occult? I had written an initial proposal for such a unit back in the 1950s, commissioned by darling Winnie himself. Adolf and his murky mob had thrown any demonic shenanigans they could at us, and I warned that we needed to be better prepared the next time. 
But that oink Wilson later put the kibosh on the proposal, and so we had always been, as far as I knew, open to supernatural attack from any Timpot dictator with a cauldron and a family-sized pack of Eye of Newt. Delighted to meet you, Captain. I clasped his hand. His grip was pleasingly masculine. But is that buffoon Pokehorn really worth your attention? I queried. Don't underestimate him, the captain said. There's more to all this than meets the eye. Come on, let's get out of here. He started to bustle me back to the well, which led up to the lighthouse lantern room. Hang on, he said, taking a detour. He retrieved his underpants from the rock on which they had landed and slipped them on. Feels wrong to be representing Her Majesty without at least part of her uniform on. I like this cove. What about Matey in the diving suit? I asked. He shrugged. Gone now. We approached the exit, but my attention was distracted by movement above. I looked up, and dear listener, if you thought I was past the point of incredulity, you would have presumed incorrectly. Despite all I'd been through in recent days, my jaw dropped. Drifting down from the top of the cavern was a goat suspended below a parachute, bleating pathetically as it descended. I pointed it out to the captain. Did you order a goat? He shook his head. No, no goats on the schedule. Even in my long and sexually active life, I've never seen a parachuting goat before, so if today has given me nothing else, it's one thing less on the bucket list. I once parachuted into Germany dressed as a nun, I told the captain. It wasn't during the war. I'd been on a bender in Soho with the Duke of Edinburgh and I'd lost a bet. The captain nudged me out of my nostalgic reverie. Save it for over a pint, Sir Desmond. My treat. The egg and cress in Great Percy Street... Come on, let's beat a tactical retreat and call for backup. But before we could make our escape from the cavern, there was a loud noise from high above us. We looked up and could see dark figures descending the walls, bouncing vigorously as they clambered speedily groundwards. Chums of yours? I asked the captain. He shook his head, peering through the darkness. He nodded at the rock behind which I had secreted myself earlier, and we ducked down in order to observe whatever the ruddy hell was going on. The goat had landed on the ground and started to eat its parachute. Of the acolytes, there was no sign. I wasn't sure if they'd scarpered or were quaking in a crevice somewhere. I spotted Pokehorn. He had found his knife and was standing still by the altar, wrapped in his robe, taking in all that was going on his face revealing nothing, but the knife held outwards, ready to stab anyone who got too close. I must admit to being stumped. Every time this situation seems to have used up its full quotient of rumness, something even queerer would occur. Who were these coves abseiling from the roof? Those who'd achieved groundfall were lurking in the shadows, not revealing themselves, presumably waiting for an order. But from whom? The answer came soon. Another parachute suddenly dropped from up above. Rather than a bearded ruminant, this one had a black-clad figure attached to it. He landed elegantly, effortlessly slipping off the parachute. 
The Absailers instantly produced rifles and stood to attention. This was, one presumed, the ringleader. I glanced at Pokinghorn and saw an expression of awe on his pinched little face. I couldn't blame him. This new chap was a stranger to me, but I recognized his uniform immediately, particularly the swastika on his sleeve. The Nazis had arrived. <laughs>